There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Friday the 14th of May 2010. I will start off by suggesting that newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. I, I do definitely suggest you bookmark the alternative sites I've got up there listed on the front page because I'm having trouble with the Yahoo. This happens every so often, but they're not giving in this time. They've put a choke on my uploads to that particular site, so I may go off it. While you're in the site, look at the books I have for sale. That keeps me going here. You can get uh, DVDs, uh, CDs, and so on if you go into the, the section for purchasing. From the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can purchase these with personal check or international postal money order from the post office. Uh, some people send cash. Some people send Western Union, some MoneyGram. Same across the rest of the world. You can use MoneyGram, Western Union, or cash. And if you want to order, you can also use PayPal. Although it says donation button on the pages there, send the appropriate donation and a separate email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Lots of folk today know what's happening with the Internet. Many clued in uh, quite a few years ago where it was all going and why it was actually designed and given to us. And they don't use the computer anymore. They rely upon people to burn discs of talks like this and pass it around to them to play on their CD players. So if, if you're one of them and there's lots out there and you want to get in touch with me, you can write to Alan Watt, Site 41, Box 4, Estair, which is E-S-T-A-I-R-E, Ontario, Canada. And the postal code is P, as in Peter, the number 3, E, as in Elizabeth, the number 4, N, as in Nora, and the number 1, P3E4N1. And what I try to do on this show sometimes is, is not just go into uh, all the crises that are handed out to us uh, today because we're given so many. This is all on purpose, too. Nothing happens by chance on a huge scale on this earth. It doesn't happen that way. Crises are used to change things. It's interesting even reading Professor Carl Quigley who said that that wars... One of the main reasons of wars, apart from the, the plundering and the loot for the victors, uh, and the, you know, to the, to the to the victor go the spoils. He also mentioned that war was intended by those who crafted it to change the cultures on both sides who are opposing each other. And it's a strange way to think about it, but it's actually true because when an enemy attacks one country, and even if it has superiority in science the other side will adopt and use the same sciences against them. If the enemy uses drastic tactics and starts slaughtering civilians, then the other side will do the same sort of thing. So they become more and more like each other as time goes on. They both institute rationing over the public, martial laws over the public, and when that's all being implemented and governments taking over farming and vital industries, 
then you know you're going into a socialist system. And so out of long conflicts, you find that socialism really is what comes out of it. It's funny to think it, that Britain used the slogans of keeping Britain free to get guys to join up during the war, sort of America. And uh, they, they, they merged out of them really as socialist countries. Although both were on the way prior to the war, the war certainly gave it the boost to become socialist. So Britain emerged from fighting national socialism as a national socialistic country. And now it's joined the European socialism. Now socialism is run by fascists. And that's what a lot, a lot of folk don't really get. They always, they're trained to think in this or that. Either or. And I'll go into this when I come back from the following break. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, just uh, trying to point out how we're easily drawn into arguments, and part of it is to do with the language and the logic that we use. We're trained in school to see things as either or, plus or minus, uh, uh, correct, wrong, that type of thing, and we get confused with words. We don't really stop and look over the words with your mind, because there's many languages, and what you see is a language itself. How you decipher what you see is a language too. It's pictures. You should say that pictures, a picture contains a thousand words, and it's actually more than that. It sometimes teaches you to ignore the terms that are handed to you that keep you in a, in a, a loop where you just fight with other people over terminology. Sometimes people were using the same terminology and they can actually be talking about different things. If you get five different preachers in together to have a chalk, they can all meet together, be very friendly, um, say God is good, and each one makes a little statement, and then they walk out, and yet it could be five different gods they're talking about. Same kind of thing. We take things on face value, and we don't really look into anything. And so when you see wars getting laid on, and the preparation for wars being laid on as well, as World War II most certainly was, because Adolf Hitler's Nazi Germany would never have got off the ground if it wasn't for all the money and the aid and all the Western corporations that set up in Germany uh, under the IG Farben umbrella. And this was all for supposedly another great experiment. These boys at the top love experiments, and that's what we're like to them, one big test tube after another. We had the American experiments, we've had the Soviet experiment, and then came the Nazi experiment. And uh, we're going through experiments right now. In fact, the global ex- experiment, which is going to be post, which is demo- post-democratic, that's a post-democratic experiment. But it's always run by the same people who hold power. It's ho- the, the money boys, the big, big money boys and the international bankers, the coteries, cabals. Uh, it's well recorded um, in umpteen different books out there, no conspiracy books. I'm talking about regular books on banking and so on, and histories done like people with people like Professor Carl Quigley, who talks about the meetings that they have. They have regular meetings, international banking families. They're all intermarried with each other, and they, of course, would never, ever decide 
to allow the power which they wield to be taken out of their hands by anybody. People who get to that kind of stage of power don't just give it up or walk away and and say, well, I've made all I need, uh, I'll give someone else a chance. It doesn't work like that. And countries all grovel to these guys uh, for permission to print up their own money, basically. The whole money system, as we know, is a con, and everyone that's on this particular show who's listening to this show, I'm sure I've had many others to explain in detail how the whole con of the money system works. It's all debt money. It's all debt. It's, it's, it's brought in as debt. And, of course, bankers live off of debt. They lose power if everyone keeps paying off their money on time and they've, they've paid up their accounts. There's no profit once it's paid up. So they want perpetual debt. But perpetual debt brings something much more interesting and much more vital. It gives you power over nations. Now, the crisis we're seeing today, many different crises, um, all at once, which is intentional, too, to keep us all distracted and concentrating on the, the, the glove. It's like a magician who wears the white gloves in the back background and the, the black suit, and you, he'll show you the one hand with the glove, and that's the one you look at. And then you're astonished when he pulls a rabbit out of thin air with his other one, because you weren't watching the other one, you see. These are simple techniques of distraction. And the media focuses on the one you're supposed to see, the the hand and the glove that you're supposed to see. But really, the media never gives you any nitty-gritty behind the scenes of what's really ever going on, because the media is an essential part of governance. It's an essential part of governance. I was looking at the history of a lot of the newspapers, especially in the U.S., over the last 40 years, and some very good papers came and went, and they went because the big boys threatened those who were advertising in those papers uh, that they'd pull all their ads off their other media. The, the moguls, the, the big barns of media, threatened to pull all their ads if they didn't, uh, if they didn't um, stop advertising with these particular newspapers. And some of them were closed down overnight. They couldn't get a single ad in. That's the power of the big boys. That's how the world really works. I've never seen the, that uh, movie. It was about a guy who tried to start the car company in the U.S. And uh, he got a lot of it off the ground. It was a novel idea that one guy could get this all started when the big uh, giants were already on the go. And the giants got together and threatened all the suppliers of metals and battery, everything for your car, threatened them if they supplied this guy. Uh, they'd withdraw their their, um, their purchasing from them. That's how the world really, really works. And they can put anybody under. So anyone who's up there and rich and famous today, the Bill Gates, the philanthropists, as they're called, really front men who were put up there by the guys already in power, who held power, the real power, the power of the technocrats, as Quigley and Maggie Thatcher called them, the ones who can get the jobs done without being responsible to the public, the ones who are unelected. And if you've noticed, every government across the world right now in, in the last few years have, have, has appointed members to their official governing bodies, which are not elected by the public at all. They don't run for anything. 
and they're supposedly experts and scientists in their fields as they pretend to run us through the logic of science rather than the logic of just dealing with human beings. But they also rely on crisis, and right now we're going through crisis creation. I've talked about crisis creation many, many times because it's so important to realize how the public react in crisis. Uh, And more specifically, it's more important to know how we don't react in times of crisis. Crisis on a large scale that's intended to make you fearful of immediate poverty um, with all the things that go with it, uh, homelessness, losing your house, uh, losing health care, everybody's afraid of of being sick. Uh, All of those things uh, are to to do with the economy, of course. They've got you by the short and curlies when they talk about the economy. And we've all been trained to work for economy in some capacity or another. And we're told that's, that's our philosophy of life. That's what you exist for us, to serve the economy. That's basically what they said at the United Nations. A good world citizen is a producer and a consumer. So really, you serve the economy. When you no longer produce, you're just consuming, like the elderly. You're a burden on society. You're a taker. That's how they put it, basically. Now, crisis knocks us off balance until we're not thinking rationally. It's so easy to do, too, when you've got a public who literally are stuck and glued to the daily media that's not going to explain any in-depth machinations, what's really happening and what it's all for. You're supposed to be the recipient of crisis so that you will do and react as everybody else is supposed to do and react and go along with whatever new rules or laws are put down upon you. I've always said in abuse, the abused victim always turns to the abuser for help. And we are so well trained, we can be raped and pillaged by our governments and banks and turn round to the same ones, expecting them to make it better for us. Anybody from another planet would think we're absolutely mad, and they would be correct. Only, you see, it's a trained madness. We're trained to respond this way, not logically. And many years ago, I also added to this particular part of it that when you're in that state of crisis and all the rest of it, um, you'll find that there's no complaints departments because you don't have what really is called a democracy. You have, I always think of them and picture them as kiosks in a sense where you walk in with your complaints to the complaint kiosk. And there's different kiosks for different kinds of complaints or departments of government. And then your stuff goes in a, 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 a circle around all different levels and comes back to you, generally answering something you never asked in the first place or certainly doesn't ask or give a reply to the question that you did ask. In other words, it's, it's all a show. It's a show. There's no democracy. Representatives don't generally, these days in most countries, they don't represent the writings, the people. They represent the party, which literally kicked the whole idea of having a representative for your, for your area out the window. And we've all been trained that's normal now. When the politician says, well, I had to go with the party on this one. All you have to do is have one guy to represent one party, one for the other, and let's cut out all the rest of them, all the rest of the politicians. It's a lot cheaper, because that's all you're watching anyway. The rest of the politicians are, who want to make a name for themselves 
and, and they're allowed a certain amount of competition on a low level, are just trained seals at a circus. They clap for their boss. Yeah, and they clap, clap, clap away. They're very noisy in the British parliaments. And that's all they do. But crisis is very, very important to get everything going. They used World War II to bring in the European Union. And as I say, Carl Quigley and others, I've got lots of books from the members who participated in the first meetings, uh, who wrote about this necessity and a dream that they'd had for a long time. Even Winston Churchill said it was his dream for a European Union. Which is kind of odd when you think about all the propaganda uh, pieces that Churchill churned out to go off and fight for your country, your way of life and traditions and all that stuff. And at the same time, his uh, personal secretary was writing down notes saying that Winston talked to his peer group and saying, this is great, this war would give us a united Europe at the end. We're all used. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about crisis creation and how it's very handy to get big plans, long laid plans into being and pushed through because the public's kept stampeded where nothing's normal anymore. The normal today might be completely different tomorrow as we go through all of this uh, supposed turmoil of our cash, cash and rates of money flow. And it's odd too because I was thinking today about that oil leakage down in the Gulf there, where they did all the right, the wrong things apparently, at a very deep drilling right to the ocean bed, and they've tried their big dome to contain it and all the rest of it. Now they're talking about bringing in basically concrete to pour in it, uh, like a like a black hole, just keep pouring I don't know thousands and thousands of tons of concrete to try to plug this particular gap. And it reminded me of exactly the the other articles I'm reading here about how they're still borrowing billions and billions of dollars to plug uh, the holes in the, the, the euro money system. It's the same thing, isn't it? The only difference is with the concrete, you actually see the end result. You know where it's gone. It's self-evident. It's, it's still there. It builds on itself. But with the money hole, it's like it's like a black hole in outer space. It's like money heaven when all the money disappeared, supposedly, from the, the, the crash, from all the bubbles. They just can't tell us where it went. But they want more. They want more and more. They can keep throwing at this black hole. Maybe they'll hit the bottom of it and will suddenly be stabilized again. This is the farce we live through. I mean, you've got to sit back and see where it really is. It's a farce, folks. It's an utter farce. And we accept these farces because we've been trained to accept them. Why? Because guys who come on television and who teach this stuff at university, see it with a very sincere face and honest face and and try to put this pseudoscience across to you. But to me, throwing money into black holes uh, doesn't make any sense at all. But the thing is, all the money that's borrowed from the world bankers by the countries to throw into these black holes is gone. You've got to pay it back. You've got to pay back the money you borrowed. So the big bankers, the, I'm talking about the big banking families, don't lose anything at all. 
When I was young, I read about the earlier depressions, even the ones in the 1800s and before in the South Sea bubble and all this kind of stuff, when a a couple of geniuses first dreamed up the idea of creating investments and um, foreign investments and got everybody in on it. I think James I was the first one that was approached. And James, uh, he set off ships off to Americas and... uh, they, they came up with this great idea, or the guys who advised him, the guys who handled the money for him, advised him this would be a great boon. And he encouraged everyone in the nation of all ages to put their pennies and their, their shillings into this great, big, profitable venture. And it was advertised at the time in King James Day as being a, a place of, of, where, of milk and honey. And they sent off a couple of ships off to, guess where? The mouth, the mouth of the Amazon River. And dropped them off as a first settlement. And by the time they came back, everybody was long gone dead. Because of malaria and yellow fever and God knows what else, or killed by snakes and all the rest of it. And it's astonishing that these things are, have been going on forever. These get-rich-quick schemes now, people certainly did get a lot of money off of it, but they never left the country of Britain. But they got lots and lots of money out of it. There's always the winners in every catastrophe, you know. And then they had the same one with the French bubble that basically decimated France's budget and helped and aggravated the build-up to the French Revolution. And yet nothing really changes. We still allow this amazing roulette, this roulette table that spins in, waste, in, in space, uh, and it's got everybody's pensions on it. It's got everything on it, apparently. National budgets and all the rest of it are all up, tossing around on this big uh, roulette table in space that when it's working okay, some of the, the cash falls over, side overboard, and you get some of it. But other times it can just push it away in the opposite direction and it goes back off to the black hole. And supposedly we're all supposed to live with this as though it was all quite sane and real and factual. And they don't change anything about it. All this money we're pumping into all these different nations after getting plundered by the same bankers will keep the same bankers in place again to do the same thing again. That's why they don't change anything. And how dare anybody take people's pensions and put them in a, a roulette table and gamble with them or healthcare funds or anything else? Don't you think that's rather stupid? especially when you look at the the long faces and and the jaws and the teeth on the foxes that are spinning the wheels on the big roulette table. But that's how we're trained. That's all quite normal. And you know something? There's no laws in the books to go after the big boys like Soros, who a few years ago literally collapsed Britain when he phoned up two of his friends as he boasted in a newspaper in Britain afterwards and decided to sink their economy and reap billions out of it. And it left Britain going off to the world bankers, cap in hand again, to borrow money to get the pound afloat once more. But there was nothing, there was no police in the world, no law that would t- to go after Soros and his pals for causing it in the first place. Amongst themselves, this is good business practice. Why do we keep them, folks? See the owners, that's why we keep them back after these messages. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the Matrix, talking about the farce of crisis creation, how we react to it, and the even bigger farce of how the, we just throw money at things from us, of course, because we're, we're put down as the guarantors for every loan governments take out. And so are your children, and children's children, and forever, until it's all paid off, which it never will be, because it's not intended to be. Slavery is better because those who rule keep ruling. If you owe them nothing, they've got nothing to go with, you see. The other night I read this article here, it was from a, a Dutch newspaper. I read a little bit of it, not much, but it says, Crisis coerces EU members, economic union members, into ever closer union. Crisis coerces them into ever closer union. It reminds me of Fortress America. The crisis on terrorism is forcing Canada and the States to integrate closer ties economically and with security forces and so on. So they use crisis to get their agenda through. When 9-11 happened, I think it was, was it Gary Hart went on television a few days later talking to the CFR and said, we can use this crisis as an opportunity. See, they all do that. And I read an article yesterday, too, where they talked about using opportunity. Everything's an opportunity for them because they bring it on, and that is their opportunity. They are opportunists. But it goes on about um, this particular article here about European currency. It wasn't the only thing at stake, though. Recent weeks it came to close setting off a new financial crisis. Little's really changed, blah, 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 blah. And then it says, over 700 billion euros in credit and guarantees that were trotted out last weekend will be supported by far-reaching monetary measures. The European Central Bank will again provide, see, they've got a centralized bank now for the whole of Europe. Members of prime plank of, of, of the, the system was a, a centralized banking. And they're now over and supreme above national banks. And they have access to the national bank's books. In other words, they're doing everything. They're running your economy, everything. And everything you spend on your services back home, healthcare, etc. But this article goes down and down and down, and it talks about the fact that it keeps mentioning that crisis is having a great effect for further integration. Further integration. So it's well worth reading to see how it's put across to the general public. And because you're living in fear, we are being stampeded and they can make as many changes as they want and we can't stop, we're rushed, we're keeping running and we we can't stop and say, wait a minute, let me think about this. We don't get time to think, you see. That's the whole idea of the articles that are churned out for us to, to panic over, basically. Just panic over. And when all this is going on too, we keep forgetting about the, the global agenda, the guys who are, p- are part of the global agenda, the Maurice Strongs and people of the world that are high-level technocrats who've made more changes to our lives than you care to imagine. These are the guys who work behind the scenes at the UN, at the Rockefeller Foundation. They're all over the place, these guys, top technocrats. And Quigley said they've got more power than any prime minister or president. That's what they wield is power. They get things set up. They get things on the go, things moving. They'd have to go through uh, parliaments and, and governments to get it done. They go ahead and do it. This article here 
It's from the BBC, 27th of April, 2000. Reviving the spirit of Rio. Out of Rio, you understand, came the Earth Charter and all this greening stuff that we're now going to get forced into when all these guys from private clubs got together and signed all of us on, by the way, uh, again, as, as the victims of all of this. We are all the participants, whether we like it or not. So, reviving the spirit of Rio. It says, following the near collapse of the UN climate negotiations in December and the seeming paralysis of the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species, that's all under their umbrella here, in March, the whole idea of solving the world's environmental problems through multilateral negotiations seems to be in crisis, but, argue Morris Strong and Felix Dodds, another recent development holds out the promise of reversing the trend. In two years' time, Rio de Janeiro will host another Earth Summit, 20 years after the first. The idea was proposed in 2007 by Brazil's President Lula da Silva at the UN General Assembly. It was clear to the President Lula and to a growing number of others that the world has changed enormously since 92 when the world... Now here's how it's tight. When the world agreed to Agenda 21. Most folk don't even know what it is. Because the general population had never heard of it. They weren't asked what they thought of it. Most of them didn't even know what was going on. But your, your prime ministers and your presidents did. They all, they all agreed to it and signed it. The blueprint for creating a sustainable way of life in the 21st century. Rio 2012, that's the next one, could provide much needed new momentum to international cooperation, not only on environment and sustainable development, but also on the problems that underpin the global financial crisis. So they are also going to use crisis as their opportunity. In fact, they create crisis. Oh, it's a crisis in the environment. The sky is falling. The only stuff that's fallen from the sky is all the chem sprays have been spraying for 12 years. And apparently they're going to step that up. So these are the real movers and shakers, and they're never, ever discussed in detail or like who they are and what they're up to. You just get little blurbs like this in the mainstream media. Most folk, once they hear it, they think, well, it must be very official, like part of your government. Well, no, it's not. It's part of the United Nations that drafts up all these laws and these bills that you'll have to answer to and gets your leaders to sign them as treaties. Sustainable development also means vastly reducing your populations, folks. All your leaders across the planet signed it. And they'll sign the next one, too. And when they go into action to create crisis, you always find there the first casualties in, in the populations when they're terrified. Terrified. I can remember Y2K and all the hype and nonsense about that. When they went around, the media would go around the man in the street and say, well, uh, did you believe in Y2K? Whatever you hear that, believe, do you believe in this? You know, it's a con. It's like, do you believe in climate change? It's a con. It's a religion. And you also had people who were terrified, yet the neurotics were flooding the psychiatrist's office. People were getting awfully depressed, thinking the world was going to come to an end. No kidding. Unfortunately, lots of guys, even on, on Patriot Radio, are making a fortune selling backup generators and God knows what else. The world was just going to stop. You see, if the computer stopped, everything was going to stop. Well, of course, it ticked over nothing happened. 
there's always an opportunity for those who use or create or even the appearance of crisis. And with the global warming scam, we've had folk commit suicide already. I read an article about a month ago where a couple had killed themselves and their child because they didn't want the world to grow up in a world that was utterly barren and nothing lived anymore, no greens and so on. This article here is out of, uh, I think it's Australia. It says, uh, Voxy News, anyway. It says, the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists Congress at Sky City Convention Centre in Auckland, that's New Zealand, brings together mental health experts in a diverse range of areas from children and adolescents to old age mental health across from the lifespan will be discussed. Here are some highlights from the morning's programme. Global warming fears seen in obsessive compulsive disorder patients. See, whatever, whatever the latest fear is, those who have obsessive compulsive disorder immediately jump into it. A recent study has found that global warming has impacted the nature of, of symptoms experienced by obsessive compulsive disorder patients. Climate change-related obsessions and or compulsions were identified in 28% of patients presenting with obsessive compulsive disorder. Their obsessions including leaving taps on and wasting water, leaving lights on and wasting electricity. Now they're going to go and check that everything's off to save the, the world. Pets dying of thirst, leaving the stove on and, wash, and wasting gas, as well as obsessions that global warming had contributed to house floors cracking, pipes leaking, roof problems, and white ants eating the house. Compulsions in response to these obsessions include the, check, the checking off taps. They're going to check them about 100 times a night to make sure they're off. Same with the light switches. There's enough water in the pet bowl. And their house structure, everything's going to fall apart. Media coverage about the possible catastrophic consequences to the planet concerning global warming is extensive and potentially anxiety-provoking. We found that many obsessive-compulsive disorder patients were concerned about reducing their global footprint, says study author Dr. Merwin Jones. So, that's because of the propaganda and the hype. There's always the, the first casualties, and people like this are the first to go, the neurotics. And it wouldn't matter if it was something else, as I say, a black hole in space and we're going to go through it. Uh, they'd be the same thing there. They'd be constantly checking their flashlights to see if they've got enough batteries to get through. We're played with. We're played with all the time. And it shows in many different ways. Now, ages ago I talked about the fact We've got a generation who've been trained to grow up walking through security scanners at school. Because you always train the group that's going to get the biggest um, amount of scrutiny in their lifetime. Start with the young, train them then, that's all normal. Then they train them that uh, you don't need privacy, privacy is bad, it's antisocial, you must have something to hide. And they join all those different uh, free sites that come up to help them. You know, this world is full of altruistic multimillionaires who want to help them, and they give them all their details, like Facebook, etc. And, oh, they're so saddened when they find it's all been sold to whoever wants it. Well, tough on them. You know, only domesticated animals can be as stupid as we are, and we have been thoroughly domesticated. When you think you can give out private details to people, 
who are out to make a lot of money in an age where they're all working, if not funded, by your secret services, your CIA and so on, then it's tough luck on you. Tough luck on you. It's your own darn stupid fault. Because once you have no privacy, you have nothing. You have to look even at the founding fathers talking about privacy to do with search warrants and everything else. No one can go through your personal data, but not anymore. You don't have to. You put it all up on the web for them to do it. You're trained, domesticated. Domesticated. Wild animals wouldn't react in this way. The natural man wouldn't react this way. Something's happened along the way, and you're thoroughly, thoroughly domesticated. This article here is from Business Day personal tech. Price of Facebook privacy, start clicking. It says, if you guess the latter, it says, you're right, Facebook's privacy policy is 5,830 words long. Uh, The United States Constitution, without any of its amendments, is a concise 4,543 words. In other words, that's what you have to go through to read Facebook's policy, the new policy, if you want to get out of it. Facebook, one of the most popular social networks in the world, has more than 400 million registered people on its website. Half these users log on to the daily service. Uh, The company says, and users spend 500 billion minutes on the site each month. But in recent months, Facebook has revised its privacy policy to require users to opt out if they wish to keep information private, making most of that information public by default. Some personal data is now being shared with third-party websites. It was from the beginning, folks. As a result, the company has come under a blitz from privacy groups, etc., etc. There were another article about it, too. Now, I I would say this is the same as all these other big sites that you're using. This article here is from the Register Facebook founder called Trusting Users Dumb F-U-C-K-S. That's your wonderful hero that gave you Facebook. That tells you what he really thinks of you, schmucks. Doesn't it? 14th of May. It says, uh, lovable Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg called his first few thousand users dumb F-U-C-K-S for trusting him with their data. Published IM transcripts, uh, transcripts show Facebook hasn't disputed the authenticity of the transcript. Zuckerberg was chatting with an unnamed friend, a partner in the early 2004 Business Insider, which is a series of quite juicy anecdotes about Facebook's early days and takes the credit for this one. The exchange apparently ran like this. Zook, yes, so if you ever need info about anyone at Harvard, Zook, just ask. Then Zook said, I have over 4,000 emails, pictures, addresses, SNNs. Then the friend said, what, how do you manage to get that one? Zuck, people just submitted it. And Zuck said, I don't know why. Then he says, they, tr- they trust me. Then, then Zuck went on to say, dumb F-U-C-K-S. You've been taken for a ride from the very beginning with a sucker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course you have been. Of course you have been. And then, of course, I have another thing here. Wired.com, Facebook's gone rogue. It's time for an open alternative. May the 7th, 2010. This has gone rogue. Drunk on founder Mark Zuckerberg's dreams of world domination. It's time the rest of the web ecosystem recognizes this and works to replace it with something open and distributed. You know, remember, 
everything comes under homeland security now. And remember that, that interesting term Bush used that created um, the total information network for government's agencies. Now, total doesn't seem say most. It says total. That means everything, folks, is being monitored. And these boys, none of them have privacy. They're wide open to the NSA and anybody else at the top that wants it. Folks should think about that. But it, for most folks, it's already too late. They've got the, the, they, they couldn't imagine starting to have a second guess everything that they, they put up there or write or emails that they send. That's, again, they're domesticated. It says Facebook used to be a place to share photos and thoughts with friends and family and maybe play a few stupid games, etc., etc. Became a very useful way to connect with your friends, long lost friends and family members, even if you didn't really want to keep up with them. And Facebook realized it owned the network. Well, I think it was set up to basically take that over. We'll never get the whole story of who put this guy up in the front, uh, and they fronted for in the first place. Now, it's astonishing to, to, as you're going through crisis, there are world meetings like that Rio meeting that's coming up in 2012, because these are the guys who have underneath them the World Wildlife Fund and all these different uh, big groups, these agencies, Optimum Population Trust, etc., all to do with depopulation. And as they said in their own article there, uh, Maurice Strong, when the whole world signed on. See, you've all been signed on for mandatory depopulation, folks. That's what it meant. And I'll read some of these quotes from some of the members of it when I come back. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts, we're Cutting Through the Matrix. I'll put up these articles on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the night, even though they put a choke on my upload speed. And uh, there's one here as if from the Sovereign Independent, and that was put up on April the 8th. It's got all the quotes from some of these big characters, well-known people who attend the, the Rio meeting, and... Uh, They'll be pushing for more depopulation shortly. And I'll also put up another set of links to do with the falling sperm cunt I mentioned last night on the show, that it's rapidly falling, and there's reasons behind it. It's intended that way. That's why it's not called a crisis. And there's one caller there. It's, a- it's A.G. from New York. Is he there? Hello, A.G.? Uh, can you hear me? Yes, I can, yeah. Uh, hi, Alan. Uh, I'd like to tell you some of your listeners and you about uh, some of the things they're teaching in the high schools. I'm uh-huh. a high school student. Yep. Uh, there's been actually a lot of talk about vaccinations for the past couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've been giving out tests and spreading a lot of propaganda. Yep. Some of the questions are like, uh, children must be vaccinated against certain diseases like H1N1 before they can enter school. Some parents feel these vaccinations are dangerous. Explain to these parents uh, what the vaccination is and what it does to protect the body. Now, this is, you know, pure BS. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I wrote down an answer uh, about thermosol and ethyl mercury. Yeah. 
and what does the body, and I, I was shunned. I was told to be quiet, and mm-hmm. uh, there's, you can't even get anything out there. No, I know you can't. In fact, uh, the farmers signed a deal with the government, the U.S. government, just uh, about two or three weeks ago, which now allows the pharma companies to quadruple the dose of mercury in the vaccines and not have to label it anymore so that the public will not be afraid. That was passed a month ago, yeah. There was also a lot of role-playing activities. Uh, A majority of the class would have to stand on one side of the room and two or three kids would have to stand on the other side. Mm -hmm. And the teacher would point to the large mass of kids and say these are the ones who have uh, gotten sick or have died. And it's pure propaganda, propaganda and brainwashing. It, it is. They use these psychodramas to try and reinforce their points of view and, and instill the fear in the people if they don't comply. You're quite right, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, uh, I noticed too they've got $98 million worth of shots left in some parts of the U.S. And, and even though it's old stuff and all the rest of it, they still want them to be used. Uh, which is it's for a flu that never even existed. It's, it's astonishing, you know. Yeah, this was pushed during October, and November, when the you know they really hyped it. Yeah. Uh, but it's also coming back, so uh, I thought I should uh, call in and tell you. Well, I always tie it in, and I, I kid you not, I'm quite serious about it. When they talked about um, when Bill Gates at that multimillionaires club with on depopulation, and he said we can use vaccines for depopulation purposes. I wonder what people think. That's in the mainstream media. Uh, what did the public, did they ever think beyond what he's actually saying? <laughs> you know? Yeah, he used to double play on words for a while. Uh, he would uh, kind of trick the audience and he, he could, we could double it. Uh, mm-hmm. We could reduce the population with vaccines. And, uh, yes, because it's sterilizing. But yeah, it's sterilizing the public. That's, that's what it's doing. And the UN's been caught at it already with their free uh, tetanus shots that sterilized millions of women in India and Africa because it targeted the ovaries, caused massive infections, and they became sterile. And they admitted they'd done that on purpose. Yep. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for calling. And we never learn. One thing about history, folk never learn by their mistakes. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.